think it's fair to say at this point that solar power is a proven technology. Agriculture producers have been using solar for fencers and water pumps for quite some time now, and it seems like solar arrays are just popping up all over the place these days. The future is looking bright for solar in Alberta, but that doesn't mean people still don't have questions about the technology, which is completely understandable since solar is a lot newer in the electricity game if you compare it to coal or hydro. We're going to take a look at some of those questions you may still have about solar in this episode. I'm Derek Leahy, and this is Rural Routes to Climate Solutions. We're basing this episode on the big Green Ideas event that took place at Lakeland College in Vermilion last March. Presenters at the event were the CEO of Equus, Patricia Bourne, Rob Barron of Lakeland's Renewable Energy Program, Jason Atkinson, Director of Operations at NMAX, and Ernie, and this is a very difficult last name to pronounce, and I'm sorry if I get it wrong, Semenyak of Borodel, R-E-A, and last but not least, Glenn Fox, Chair of Equus. Equus is Alberta's largest rural electrification association, or R-E-A. REAs have deep roots in rural Alberta. It was the creation of REAs largely by farmers and ranchers that led to the electrification of rural Alberta in the late 1940s. Anyway, Lakeland was nice enough to share the audio from the event with us. When I was listening to the recording and trying to figure out what we're going to do with it for this episode, I was really struck by the quality of questions that were coming from the folks in the audience in Vermilion. They're really down-to-earth and practical questions that I think a lot of us still have about solar. So that's why we're calling this episode Solar Q&A. But before we get started, I want to do something that's long overdue for us. I want to do one of these. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mal Disanayaka. I'm the Dean of Environmental Sciences at Lakeland College. And thank you very much for coming today. It's a very lovely day. It's sunny and it's a good day for this kind of discussion. Um, before we go any further, I want to uh, honor the, our ancestors here. We are gathered here today on traditional Treaty 6 territory and Region 2 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. At Lakeland College, we acknowledge that Indigenous people are the first peoples of our country and we honor and respect the history and roots of this nation. I want to do a land acknowledgement. I realize land is a sensitive issue in agriculture. There's a lot of pressure for farms to get bigger or go bust these days, and access to land is one of the biggest issues that young and new farmers face right now. Plus, on top of that, if you're farming, you have a real intimate connection to the land, full stop. You were raised on it, you raised your kids on it, and maybe your kids are raising your grandkids on it right now. I'm not doing this land acknowledgement to make anybody feel guilty about owning land. Hell, I want to own land one day, and I full well know the land was acquired by the British and the Canadian government in a pretty shameful way, but I still hope to own land one day. But I do do my best to respect other cultures. I traveled a lot in my 20s, and it didn't matter if it was Guatemala, the Ukraine, Israel, I really enjoyed attempting to speak the languages that I came across and taking part of the cultures that I was immersed in. I'm sure some of you have had similar experiences in your travels. So I do think it's a real missed opportunity if we don't do the same with the multitude of indigenous cultures and languages we have here in Canada. Plus, on top of that, it doesn't really hurt any to respect traditions that have been on the land for thousands of years, like land acknowledgements. 
it might even help us deal with some of the land issues we have in agriculture too. So I want to acknowledge here and now that the place I'm recording, Calgary, is on Treaty 7 land, which comprises a pretty big chunk of southern Alberta. It's also the home of the Métis of Region 3. I myself am originally from Williams Treaty lands, which is the home to the Anishinaabe, so this would be in southern Ontario. I want to thank the First Nations of Treaty 7, so the Stony Nakoda, the Blackfoot Confederacy, and Satina, as well as the Métis, for taking care of the land so well that people like me have the opportunity to farm it today. And I endeavor to take care of the land as well as you and your ancestors have done for thousands of years. So you can have an idea of who's speaking when in this episode, because we are literally listening to the events Q&A. I'm going to let the speakers just introduce themselves really quickly because I, well, it's kind of pointless. If I describe what the voices of each speaker sound like. So this is here to help you guys out a bit. Patricia Bourne. Just say that at Equus, what's important to us is to bring that value to our members. Rob Barron. And uh, Lakeland College, um, you know, we got into this uh, about... Uh, over 10 years ago uh, in the renewable energy uh, business, first with some applied research. Jason Atkinson. I'm the Director of uh, Distributed Generation, Director of Operations for Distributed Generation for NMAX. Ernie Semenik. I uh, became a director for the Bordale REA in the mid-80s. And Glenn Fox. There's an independent streak about rural Albertans. And there are many things that folks far away are making decisions for us locally, but we do have an opportunity that we can participate in, 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 in shaping our own future. And that was part of the concept why Equus ended up growing to be the largest member-owned utility in, 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 in Canada. So one of the big issues the panel tackled was damage and degradation solar systems. You know, it's a big investment to put up a solar system. So a lot of people want to know how long these things are going to last. And I was absolutely shocked to find out the beating that solar panels can take. They also talk about inverters in this segment. And if you don't know what they are, they take the energy that panels absorb or create from the sun, which comes in direct current, and then the inverter turns it into alternating current, which is a form of electricity that our homes and businesses use. Um, we have over a thousand sites in Alberta uh, with multiple, multiple uh, modules, thousands of modules deployed. And um, the one thing I can tell you is hail has a really tough time uh, harming modules. We have not lost one system to hail at all. Um, the, the storm that hit Airdrie was the one that scared me. I actually was in my NMAX truck in the ditch when that storm hit and golf ball size hail was coming down on the truck. I thought, holy man. And then I started to think I was just outside Airdrie. I went, Oh, we got 30 sites here. This is going to be the test. And the one thing I love about solar is it's measured, right? You could see in Pat's slide deck, you got solar TV there. So it lets you know what's going on with it, right? It talks to you. When it's not happy, it sends you an email and says, hey, something's wrong. I love that. Being an O&M guy with my three trade tickets, I love that it can, it can look after itself, right? So what did I do? I went right online, checked all 30 sites, and we didn't lose one system to that hailstorm. We actually got paid by the insurance companies to go remove the solar so they could redo the roofs that were damaged and they took photos and uh, they didn't replace that part of the roof with the modules protected the roof at that point. So um, 
There has been, I was educated tonight. Do you want to talk to that? One module, I guess, lost, but here, I'll let you talk to that. Yeah, for years, for years, uh, all the solar installers that I've worked with always say the same story. We've put out thousands of modules, never seen one broke. So this fall, one of the main solar installers in Calgary, uh, he sends out newsletters from time to time. And I guess somewhere in Alberta, out of all the thousands and thousands of solar panels that were installed, there was one panel. And it's famous now because it's the only panel anybody has ever seen damaged with solar. Um, and, and so it, it actually made the news. Uh, it was that rare uh, for that to happen. They, they, they test these in the factory with ball bearings at so many miles per hour. And, and it's a tempered glass. Uh, I do have to say um, that out at our research center, we do have solar thermal, which you said is not as forgiving. Uh, and we have lost solar thermal tubes from, from hail on a regular basis. Uh, but PV panels, the, the sort of what we're talking about tonight, um, it, they're, yeah, they're, I wouldn't say they're bulletproof because that's, that, that will kill them, but, but they're, they're, they're pretty good. Uh, solar panels were, de were developed in the 1950s and 60s, um, and uh, they were first used in the space program and in telecommunications. So uh, when NASA wanted to put power systems on satellites where failure is not an option, uh, they chose solar. Uh, so and they developed that technology to go in space, and everybody's cell phone here runs because solar panels are in space powering those satellites, those communication satellites. So uh, systems have... Uh, do go in, um, have been in for 40 years, 30 years. Uh, they do degradate over time. And so um, there will be a, a performance warranty on, on modules of a certain percent degradation per year. Uh, but you can probably expect an easy 25 years, 30 years life out of a system, I think. So great question, but it kind of leads to, to the previous question a little bit too. Um, the one thing with solar is, is you can we call there's we don't use anything but tier one module manufacturers and to be a tier one module manufacturer you got to be bankable and you got to be firing on a lot of cylinders like how you dispose of your products all that stuff so we use life's good and hanwha q cell and the reason we use those companies is because they're very bankable and they're going to be there when you need to exercise your warranty so lg actually exclusive to nmax gives us a 25 year performance guarantee our product guarantee and a 30 year performance guarantee on your module so what does that tell you you know what you're going to pay for your energy for 30 years out of that module the module's the biggest investment in your solar array so be careful with what you're getting Right. And managing that expectation, that's what we do. We give you production guarantees. We're behind you on this. We don't want this to be a bad experience. And that's why we use Life's Good. And that's why we use Hanwha Q Cell. And if you look at the advancement with those companies with their products, LG just just has taken over as the most efficient module in the world now. Um, they've topped SunPower, which that was we all thought that would take a long time, but they've done it. Um, and that's why we're with them. So um and I had the, I was blessed that you had to be with a manufacturer, but I got to tour PVUSA. Um, it was the first testing facility in North America. It's outside of Sacramento. It's a full section of land. And, and I'll tell you, it's exciting when you go in there. Well, it was exciting for me. It was like Disneyland. So I went in there and they take you all the way back to the very first co the corner. And there was a module there, 25 watts, about the size of a 60 cell module. Um, and they started testing in it in, in 1959, 1960, and it was a NASA module and it was still harvesting. It was still working. I was there in 2012, right? So the biggest, weakest link at that time 
was the electronics. But now the electronics, we're getting a 25-year warranty on them. So this technology is proven and it's going to be there. So you got to look at solar like you're, you're locking your price in for 30 years and beyond. Um, we do, when we do utility scale solar systems and the levelized cost for it, just the ana analytics, we're allowing 40 years now. And most bankable, most banks in the U.S. to finance a utility scale project will accept 40 years. So there you go. Even the banks are getting behind it. I've got two questions. So the first one on reliability, we're talking about the solar panels, but what about the inverters? We've got microinverters and large inverters. What are life expectancies on that? So what I can tell you is microinverters come right now with 25-year warranty. So they're backing that warranty for 25 years. Um, we use, uh, a, when it comes to inverters, we've done a lot of research and development, and we kind of, we're kind of in three swim lanes there. We use SolarEdge, and we use Fronius, and we use SMA. Why do we use those products? Because they're all proven and we're not seeing any fail rates. Um, if you look at SMA, I mean, they're a German company. They've been installing inverters since 1981. I mean, wow. And, and they're proven, right? And they'll back your warranty. You can get extended warranties now as long as you want, right? Up to 25 years. So like I just said previously, the one thing I did notice at PVUSA was the electronics were being changed out regularly. But then as we kept going along the arrays and the testing, they were, you could see that was growing, right? The timelines for them being replaced was growing, going out and out and out, pushing out. So now, like I say, you get a 25 year warranty on an inverter. In the very, I guess, unlikely event that your solar panels get busted or, you know, they reach the end of their life, you hit that 30 year mark. There is actually the possibility of recycling solar panels. It's a thing. It's just not quite a thing in Canada yet. So excellent question. I'm in front of council and mayors all the time and city and managers. And uh, that's the number one question I usually get asked. So uh, happy to answer it. Um, so what, what we're seeing in, in Canada is we haven't seen solar systems come to the end of their life. So we don't really have a recycling plant for solar in Canada. What I can tell you is there's a company in the UK called PV Cycle. You can look them up. Um, and they are recycling modules. You look at Germany and these other areas have had modules or uh, in forever. They are they are uh, st recycling. The other thing I can tell you about everything on a module can be recycled. So that's the other thing I can tell you. Um, now, what I also can tell you is PV Cycle is just announced. They're opening. Uh, they're building a main plant in. Um, I can't. I think it's California is their first one, and they have uh, Canada on the map. So as solar evolves, as we get more capacity and as time goes, they will show up. And we are being told that originally the plant was going to go in Ontario, but now they're seeing the market move and they're talking to come more central so that we'll have a place to, uh, to send these modules to. Pat and I was recently, sorry, but <laughs> at a conference and one of the discussion that took place there was around manufacturers' life cycle responsibilities. And there is beginning to start a conversation around manufacturers being responsible for the products that they produce from manufacturer to disposal. So I can see a future where you buy an LG panel, for instance, and at the end of the life, LG will send somebody out to take responsibility of that product. And, and so there is consideration, and I suspect that that will move very quickly especially in California, 
Because, you know, California, their mentality around environmental issues are, they're on a different planet to, to a lot of other folks. And, and, and what tends to happen in California seems to catch fire. That was totally unintentional. <laughs> but what I mean to say is that folks somewhere else pick up on the idea and, and it becomes the norm rather than the exception. On this next segment, the presenters go into costs, which obviously big question for folks if you're going to put up a solar system. As I said a little bit earlier, it's really expensive to do something like this. Unfortunately, there are some programs out there that can help a bit with the costs of an array. So a lot of people are familiar with the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. We used to be growing forward. Well, within that program, so this partnership between the federal government and the province, you have the on-farm solar photovoltaic program, where you can get about 30% of your costs covered for an array. There's also Pace Alberta, which finally passed into law last January. Pace Alberta, a group of investors, they front the cost of your solar array, and then you slowly pay that off through your property taxes. So if you think of it like this, the money you would have spent on your power bill can then go to paying off the solar array. There's a few things that still need to be worked out with PACE so we can have access to it. Uh, Energy Efficiency Alberta needs to create a delivery program. Each municipality does need to pass enabling laws or enabling bylaws, I should say. But I'm pretty sure that it's possible for an agriculture producer to combine these two programs to fund one solar system. I also really love what Jason Atkinson of NMAX said at the very end of this when he was talking about what the payback is on paying your power bill. Yeah, so there is. There's no cost to you. Yeah, that's yeah, a fair point. Um, the There's no cost to your uh, your tax dollars. This is no different than trying to put a, another asset into your home, like if you put air conditioning in your home or anything. That you're, It's going to actually up the value of your home um, when you go to sell it. So, um, but uh the when we do the calculi- calculation, the one thing you got to be careful on it's all in the design in the model. We use a software called Helioscope. It's a design tool that's used. We use your Google for the imagery. We plot the system, and I, quite frankly, we've had customers who just said, "You know what? Solar is not a good option for you. We've put it on your roof. We can't get the harvest we want to see for you. Do an LED lighting retrofit or something different for your home, right? So we'll tell you that. And the data is thirty years of sun." data so we're pretty good we've got over a thousand sites so we know how it's going to work so it's all in the harvest and that's what i was getting back to right like lg's degradation you know most modules are around 0.69 um right now percent lg's at 0.35 right it's a whole different dynamic and those are the things you have to educate but the one thing that drives your return is the harvest out of that system so it's all in the design the installation and the commissioning. I always say this, commissioning in solar is everything because you know what it's going to do and it's going to work right. But I, I've done, I've done, I spent a lot of time deep diving into the economics in the last two or three years. And um, uh, the return on investment isn't there for everyone. Uh, so I've done invest, I've done analysis for cer- certain people. 
some of it depends on uh, are you rural or do you live in, in a rural town? Do you live in a city, right? All these things have, have differences. Do you use your electricity simultaneous? That was brought up earlier. In a big institution like this, for example, if I have a solar system, I can go quite large and all the electricity off the solar will be used as I'm generating it. And that has a high value, okay? Exporting to the grid and buying it back later at a higher price, that's, that's okay, it's nice. But the, the real value is if I can use the energy right away when, when I'm using it. So a, uh, like this campus that uses a lot of energy all day long, and I always use the welders as an example, in the afternoon when the sun's shining, they're burning rod. If we can use that electricity simultaneously, there's, there's savings to the energy, but there's also some, an extra cent or so uh, of distribution. And, and if you live in a, in Vermilion, um, there's actually, uh, my value of electricity goes from $0.07 cents to $0.14 cents, uh, because uh, of the rate structure. So everybody, whether you're business or homeowner or uh, oil field, uh, there's different rate structures. Alberta has a very um, complex, can I say, <laughs> rate structure depending on who your line company is and stuff. And the, certain customers and situations have much better savings than others. And so there will be times when, when I go to somebody and say, no, don't do solar, it doesn't make sense. And there'll be other times I'll say, why aren't you doing this? It has an incredible payback. So sometimes you do see, I, I rarely see a six-year payback. Uh, numbers generally go between 12 years and 16 years. That's very common for a payback. But then you got to compare it to your power bill. You can wait all day for your power bill to pay back, um, and it'll never come. What happens after the 12 years is now the system's paid for, and for the next 12 years to 25, it's all profit, okay? So when will your power bill ever show you the possibility of giving you that kind of uh, return on, on an investment? So we talk about payback, but once the system is paid back in 12 years, those savings are actual in-the-pocket savings, right? The one thing I always talk about um, to customers is, and to business owners is, What's the return on investment for the grid-tied power you buy every day? There absolutely isn't one. Solar gives you one. It gives you that hope, right? And, and I always say this, grid-tied solar is just the gateway to many other products. You can, it opens up many other products to you, right? If you buy an electric car, you get an electric car charger. Solar complements that, right? You start to get into storage, right? Those sorts of things. You can do that with grid-tied solar, right? You can have storage and switch gear so that when you have your power goes out, you switch over, you're using that storage to run certain loads. These are all the things that we can do with solar, right? Glenn Fox of Equus brought up a really good point that for something to have value, it doesn't always have to put money in your pocket, but you'll understand what I'm talking about when you listen to that segment. One factor that we're seeing is that folks are doing energy renewable project for other reasons other than the return on investment piece. Some folks are doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. How do you calculate that and what is the value put on that? Whereas a lot of other folks are looking at that return on investment piece. And so it, it gets to be somewhat complicated now because folks are interjecting into the conversation that and Pat talked about earlier today about reducing your energy footprint. And, and I'm not sure if we can quantify that. What does that look like? 
So it becomes a value proposition. Is it valuable to me? And the folks are saying it is, never mind the return on investment piece. So some of our members are doing it just because it is a value to them. We've got one member that he only has the transformer outside of, of his house as an insurance policy because he's fully, he can essentially go off the grid. But he needs that little transformer there as a supposing something happens. So uh, I don't know whether we can, if we're actually calculating all of the inputs accurately when we say return on investment, because how do you put a value on on, on, on well-being? And, uh, and that's some of the things that we're seeing. The last word is going to go to Patricia Bourne, CEO of Equus. You probably noticed we didn't hear a lot from Patricia in the Q&A. Uh, the problem was, for some reason, her recording didn't work out very well, which is really unfortunate because it was a very male-heavy panel, and that was the one female voice we had there. Fortunately, though, she was also the keynote speaker, and that recording worked out perfectly fine. So we're going to listen to the last 10 minutes of her keynote where she gives us a bit more of a uh, personal perspective on solar power. Um, this is my own home um, that's up here as, as well as Equus's office. And from a personal perspective, um, my husband and I simply believe that we need to help reduce our environmental footprint as well as reducing our dependency on the grid. So taking a look at... How does this how does this work? So once you have the solar on there, it goes down into an inverter and that inverter goes in through your panel and then into your home and what you're not using is then put out onto the onto the grid through the, the meter and is metered and and, and back out. Um, I don't know if can we see the whole list? So, so basically, with taking a look at our, our own personal system as a residential service and then Equus's office, we, we put on 11.29 kilowatt system on ours and, and Equus's was 30 kilowatts. We had an estimate of the first year of production of 12,800 kilowatts. Our system just just went in in, um, we just, uh, I think July or August, um, our personal system just got going. So uh, that we haven't seen that full year yet. And we've had winter in between. Uh, we did pay uh, $19,602, which included a grant from Energy Efficiency Alberta of $8,000. Um, the estimated return for the first year is 2.5%, and the approximate return on investment is 15 to 25 years, and I can talk a bit more about that um, further on here. With Equus's building, uh, the estimated first year of production was 32,910. We've had that on for a couple of years. We haven't quite made that, that 32,000, but very close. And we paid $72,657 and got a grant, a different grant at that time, but it was a grant of 18000 That 30 kilowatts is about 30% uh, of our energy usage at our, at our office. And the first year of return on that was 3.99%. Uh, so again, it's that 15 to 25 
years, and it really depends upon the price of electricity um, as to you know when that return, when you'll realize that return as well as uh, when you use it. And I'll talk about that in a minute as well. So the higher the energy rates, the sooner you make the return on your investment. This is just a copy of my bill. It would have been the first full month of billing after I got my system. And just for anyone who has not seen uh, one of these bills before, um, you can you can see I there was a cancel for a previous period because you know the first bill wasn't quite right. So there was a credit went on there of seven hundred and ninety five kilowatts. And then you can see that there was uh, a micro generation credit of 1884. So, um, so my example here was I was on the rate cap of 6.8 cents. Right now, anybody who's on the regulated rate isn't going to go over 6.8 cents. However, um, when that rate cap is gone, that can definitely change. So just taking the difference between the two, um, I, there was 1,089 kilowatts, um, which I generated, we generated, and we were compensated for that at uh, 6.8 cents, and so that was $74 for that month. Now, with the 1037 kilowatts that were used from the grid the the cost was higher of course it was truly higher than what i actually um, consumed and and used and didn't produce back out onto the grid so when it was produced and i was using it it was worth more because the cost is higher because you're paying the distribution charges, you're paying the retail charges, the transmission charges, and the municipal front. Oh, sorry, not the distribution charges because you have to pay those anyway, but your transmission charges and your municipal franchise fees. So those things all have to be paid. Um, what you can't see here, um, and I'll just show you on here, is some of the other calculations so this is where you talk about how do you save more. So if if I consumed from the grid um, this 1,037 kilowatts, and the total amount that I generated was 1,697 kilowatts, and that's between the 1,089 that I put out onto the grid and 608 kilowatts that I actually consumed when I used, there was that excess of the, the 1,089 that went onto the grid. What it, what it shows, though, is... Where's my little... There we are. Uh, so, so you can see that here there's an overlap between what, I've, what I actually produced and consumed. And if these over here were moved over here more, I would have had a greater savings at over 12 cents instead of the 6.8 cents. Well, I work all day, so I'm not using a lot of power because I'm not at home. But if I was at home um, during that time, and, or if I was a farm and I was doing things out um, during the day and I was consuming and using at the same time, I would have an even, even greater savings.
So this is this just kind of shows what when I look at the total, what you can't see on my bill, um, but you can only see that I had an additional 608 kilowatts that I produced and consumed, and that's at that higher rate. The total savings for that month wasn't the 7405, it was 152.19. And again, those savings increase as the price of power goes up, and when the price of energy, or sorry, and when the generation and consumption are used at the same time. So the more you do that, the greater your savings are going to be. One of the other things that that um, Equus has been involved with, um, starting with a pilot project with uh, Rewatt Power, is a way they, they've built a, a software using blockchain, um, which is just a, a fancy name for being able to make every transaction very visible to every consumer all the way along the line, and you never lose that visibility, is to be able to take those small credits, those uh, green credits or renewable credits, uh, the carbon offsets and actually aggregate those with many other consumers and somebody will buy those and then you get you get revenue from that. If you don't aggregate those together, then you can't get a credit. You're too small. Nobody, you know, no company, whether it's NMAX or, or anybody is going to want to pay for that, you know, $2 or $3 that, that you might have in that excess um, on a monthly basis. But by putting it together with everybody else, you can get credits on that as well. And and you don't need to be in Equus's service area to benefit from this program. Uh, Rewatt Power offers it outside of our service area. Um, the only thing that does hinder some of that is um, if you get a grant uh, that limits your ability to sell those credits because uh, that's those are kept by the government because you got a grant. But not everybody gets grants, so there's uh, we do have a quite a few that never received any grants. That's sort of the overall um, information. Kind of just put that into perspective a little bit for you that microgeneration isn't uh, something that is uh, should be seen as not simple and easy. The process is pretty easy uh, to follow. Whichever company that you work with, they make that as easy as possible for you. They also will um, they do all those satellite visuals of your house. So initially, that you can kick some tires and you don't even have to have them come out to your house and take up your valuable time. You can just make a phone call and they'll they'll take a look and, and see, uh, you know, are you south facing? You know, is it even feasible? How how big is your current service? And they and they can do all of that. So I can tell you that it is a it is a simple and easy process. Um, at Equus, what we do is we actually lend our our members 50% of the cost to put those solar systems in uh, and they can pay that back over uh, an extended period of time. And then we also give them a $500 incentive. So that never gets paid back. So as well as any grant funds that might be available, um, they also have that. And we really try to work with them, especially on new services that are going in now that, that might be those larger business services that, that could really benefit from putting um, 
renewable energy and sooner we have conversations about that. So that sort of aside, there's also this opportunity for community generation, which is a whole bunch of people to get together and uh, and um, purchase electricity together through community generation. And the rules are being written on that right now, but it has been approved by um, by the government. Um, the rules are supposed to be written and out in the fall, and there'll be ways for municipalities to work with developers, um, consumers in a community to all get together. You can work, um, you know, you can work jointly between municipalities. There's many different ways that you'll be able to do this. And, and really, it's about uh, more businesses um, for Albertans, owned by Albertans, for Albertans. Rural Routes to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based project empowering agricultural producers with climate solutions. Stetler, Alberta is a place we call home. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, produces this podcast series, and hosts webinars. We've got a passive solar greenhouse growing field day near Olds on May 25th. And on June 20th, we'll be at the Breton Plots Agriculture Research Station for a perennial grains and soil health workshop. For more information and to register for our events, please go to the website at www.rr2, that is a two is in a numeric two, cs.ca. Thank you to the Alberta Real Estate Foundation and the Government of Alberta for providing financial support for this podcast. And thank you to the Advisory Committee of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions for providing me with support, advice, and just being a really great sounding board. Members of the Advisory Committee are Brenda Barrett, Dana Penrice, Mark Fox, and Kimberly Cornish. Thank you to Lakeland College for sharing the audio from Big Green Ideas with us so we can make this episode. Today's episode was recorded at Media Lab YYC in Calgary on Treaty 7 land and was edited by Kieran Mountain of Mountain Media in Red Deer. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. I hope seeding is going well. And if you were calving this past month, I hope you didn't have to pull a single calf. And remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.